to the Coach and Kernan Show. This is our podcast network, episode 72 in total, but we're here today with the Hot Corner with Coach Sal. It's episode eight for Coach Sal. Uh, it is a, a nice Friday afternoon. We're going to give our audience, again, build a better baseball IQ through our performance, mental and physical performance specialist here, Sal Marinello. Sal, welcome back to your show. Hey, Dave. Good to be here. I can't believe we've done that many already. Yeah, it's been very well received. Um, that's great for a new show too. Obviously you're, uh, a mainstay on the panel of experts. So the audience has known you for 70 plus shows there, but with, uh, with your own show, I think the audience was asking for it. They, they love the extra dive you give us on the panel. And I think they wanted more. And, and this, this one day a week, uh, extra for them is, is really hitting home. So we appreciate you for that. No, good. I'm I'm glad. I'm glad to help. You know, and we were talking about, you know, we were we we're kind of going into some I don't want to say they're unimportant, but they're not the focus of what people are um looking at as being performance training. And I that's what I wanted to do today is get back to some of the more uh fundamental things that people do to train. Again, this is not to say that nutrition, breathing, and sleep isn't an important, but the, the reality is people want to see what you're doing. Let's use the term in the gym. Um, and I think we need to talk about that. Yeah, no, I think it's great. You and I chatted throughout the week. And uh, of course, we always pay attention what our audience wants to, and they're asking for that as well. Again, not that they don't appreciate the eat, sleep and nutrition, because that's the, the bread and butter, pardon the pun right there. But uh, yeah, I think, I think with that, and then you had mentioned you you had a chance to watch that Nolan Ryan documentary. So um, if we have some time, maybe get into that. That was a phenomenal one. Yeah, I mean, I think you, we could, you could do a show, uh, you know, with the group on that, just on that alone and and the ramifications, you know, unstated for the state of the game today. But I, I, you know, just to start with that, if you're any kind of sports fan, you know, watch that Nolan Ryan document documentary on Netflix, Facing Nolan. Uh you know, I grew up with him, you know, at 69, I was old enough to remember the Mets winning the World Series. And obviously, as a baseball player in high school and as a fan, you know, his career kind of marked those key years for me into young adulthood. And it's just amazing to watch that history unfold in a documentary that you actually grew up watching. And I think what people miss today, I mean, our age doesn't, but the younger generation misses is that, you know, it was really a special occasion when you got to see a player like that uh, play because you maybe had the game of the week. I think it was on Saturdays, but you weren't watching, you know, seven days a week baseball from any market. You were watching your hometown team and, you know, you were lucky enough if the, if the, um, the team came in and your favorite, you know, or, or a great pitcher like Ryan you could miss him. You know, it wasn't like a position player who was going to play in a three or four game series. He could not be on a turn when he came to New York. So 
you know, you really didn't get to see a lot of him except on highlights. And then obviously as ESPN started in the sports center, brought those things to you, um, it gave you a little more insight. But it was just great watching how uh, he dominated and looking at the statistics that he put together. Um, you really come away with that hard-pressed to say he wasn't one of the three or five best pitchers ever and certainly one of the two or three most dominant ever. Yeah, and his records kind of speak for themselves, not just the dominance, but also long longevity, which kind of leads into what we're going to talk about a little bit today. But just for reference for the audience, I mean, 5,714 strikeouts. Randy Johnson is number two, and he's 850 strikeouts away. Uh, the best active pitcher is Verlander, who's 39 years old and who is 2,600 strikeouts away from Ryan. I mean, that won't be broken. Seven no-nos, 27-year career for a pitcher. And he wasn't a guy that was maintained. He was a guy that threw deep into games. Uh, you know, 26 seasons with a win, which kind of sounds silly, but um, nowadays guys get hurt. He had 383 strikeouts in one season. Lifetime batting average against him, 204. Um, he's a... Uh, He's, he's somebody that people should study more often. And the, the part that I left that with, and I think we may have talked about it on the panel, but never won a Cy Young. Never won a Cy Young. He, the, so. the, the year he was in 73, when he was 26, he, he broke the strikeout record, won 21 games through 325 or 326 innings and had two no hitters and, did, and, and had an ERA, you know, right near where the winner of that year's was, which it was Jim Palmer, and didn't win it. And, and Palmer had a great year, but, you know, Nolan Ryan had a, a legendary, you know, historic year. So crazy. Yeah, and, and, you know, the other thing, Dave, I didn't realize he had the, the, the 50, he has 51 records, but the he had the f most no hitters, one hitters, two hitters, and three hitters. And also, I believe, had the lowest uh hits per nine and batting average against, which, yeah. you know, I know it doesn't always, it's hard to believe that doesn't translate into more wins, but what that tells you is he lost, I believe, 294 games. You have to be a pretty damn good pitcher to be in that many games uh, to lose that many games. So. Yeah. You have to throw over five, which doesn't happen nowadays. And you mentioned Jim Palmer, Nolan Ryan, those are guys that completed games. They threw deep into games. They didn't want to be taken out of games. And, in today's modern athlete, we would agree that maybe the athletes are, you know, they have more amenities now. They may be bigger, stronger, faster, but they aren't lasting as long. And hopefully we can give the audience some some insight into some of that today. But um, yeah, well, that's where we get into what, what were they doing off the field? And I've long been a proponent of looking at what and we'll, we'll talk about it, but getting into what guys like Ryan and Tom Seaver and the third person in that group that I put together that when you look at his longevity and his, his um, availability, which people say is really the best ability is availability is Jerry Kuzman who frequently gets um, overlooked because he was on those lousy Met teams after Seaver left and was the quote beneficiary of that offense. You look at the innings he pitched his ERA, uh, the decisions he had, and he went on and had a great career when he left uh, New York. He was another guy. Just look at what they did with guys like that, you know, and they weren't throwing all year round. And, you know, they weren't ruined as kids. And my we could you could take me where you want from here, Dave. But what I want to say is I think our pitchers are being ruined. Your 15 year old kid, if he's a pitcher, 
um, your 18 year old, your high school kid. Those are the kids that are, are failing physically in the, at the higher levels. If they haven't already, that's where that damage is being done. So, you know, the change start at the younger level. Let's start there. Every story has got to start somewhere. Let's start right in the middle with that age bracket, that teenage, uh, kind of getting into manhood. Um, what, what are you, what are you seeing there? I mean, you're training, uh, a lot of these kids, when they come to you, they're in a lot of cases maybe damaged already. Yeah. Um, how how should I guess you can't pardon the, me making up a word, but you can't undamage a kid, I guess. But how do you when you get a kid 15, 16, 17 and you see the damage, what do you do with them? Like, where do you start from an education standpoint? What workouts should they start doing? Where, where do you begin with something like that? Well, it's it's almost sad, Dave, because it's happened now for over. I'm in a town where, where baseball is still very popular um, in a state where you still have your in New Jersey has very good high school baseball. But it, lacrosse has really taken a lot of baseball athletes. Uh, and um, so that's another argument. But uh, there's kids I see all the time, Dave, and I've mentioned this on the other show that have like the, the, the shoulder range of motion measurement method I use. You should have a three. A kid, a high school baseball player should have a three. I'm getting, you know, ones and twos with impingement syndrome. So that means they have some discomfort or flat out pain doing a very basic move. Here's your basic impingement uh, test. Put your right hand on your left shoulder and lift your right elbow to the ceiling, keeping your hand on the shoulder. I have three quarters of my baseball players come in and that hurts them. So the question is, how much lifting are you doing? And it's usually, well, we benched. We deadlift, we squat, we military, and it's all barbell work. And so right there you're in you're in trouble because you have these coaches that want to put guys in the weight room and and do lifts that are uh would the, here's a fancy word, contraindicated for the for the event, which is baseball. You know, you if your kid's doing barbell work, bench press, overhead press, it you're you're gonna ruin them. What uh, should they be doing instead, or should they be using well, should I mean, they be using barbells with their I mean, so here's here's my perfect world. Get out of the weight room because a not enough people know what they're doing, and I could we could do another ten hours on picking apart professional baseball player workout videos. Uh, so to me, we have more than enough evidence to say either they're doing stuff on their own and they don't know what they're doing, or they're being told to do stuff that they by people who don't know what they're doing. Uh, but to, to your point, let's keep it on point here. Uh, young athletes, if you're not able to do push-ups and pull-ups and, you know, the movements that we assign weights to in the weight room, if you're not able to do those things uh, body weight and do them correctly, you shouldn't be able to do them with weight. And um, I have guys that and some girls who come in and can't squat properly but are being loaded with weight in the weight room by coaches. Um, so... That, that, again, that's the genesis of all of this. And I just put out a short Instagram post this morning, basically telling coaches, it was more directed at coaches, but when you're being given ideas about movement and ways to make athletes more athletic and robust, if your first thought is how much weight or how should I load this or what kind of band can I use, then you're missing the point. You know, we're, we're not better from weightlifting. We're just not. I mean, you can take segments of our athletic population and certainly make that case. But let's talk about young baseball players, lacrosse players, 
basketball players, we're seeing more damage done from the weight room than performance enhancement. Wow. That's a big statement right there. That's uh, And a lot of that, again, like you said, comes from people either not knowing what they're doing in there or being told the wrong things. Uh, yeah. Um, when I was a kid growing up now, it was impressed upon us that the things you mentioned, push-ups and pull-ups, but we were made to fear the weight room in a sense where we said it would ruin your shot, ruin your swing, ruin your throwing. I don't know if that was super educated to say, but there was just, again, the unknown. But then it went the other way where it was like, you can't make it without the weight room. And the weight room almost supplemented skill training. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, you're right. And and those, uh, I'm, I'm, I don't think they're myths, but those old school reasons for not being in the weight room were accurate. You know, it does ruin your shot. If you're, here's the thing, if you're bench pressing and overhead pressing at the, at, I'm just going to say bench pressing with the bar and overhead pressing with the bar, you're hurting your shot and you're hurting your throwing motion uh, flat out because overdevelopment of the chest does the chest, the pec muscles are not, you know, you don't need that kind of development to throw. As a matter of fact, it hinders your development. I, uh, here's a little di uh, digression. My father was a, um, is a professional drummer still at 85 and he was professionally classically trained jazz drummer and I dabbled and would go with him on jobs um, and got to meet some very high level musicians. And when they found out I was an athlete, the first thing they would tell you, and this is back in the seventies, Dave, don't spend too much time in the weight room because it affects your ability to play the drums. And it's true. A lot of the same, um, a lot of the same movements that you need to do to be an effective drummer uh, can be hindered by the classic weightlifting that, you know, all athletes are being put through. So, you know, there's a lot of a lot of things that need to be changed with how we train, Dave. And, and, and you got to start with these kids and you have to have parents really having a more critical view of what these coaches are doing with these kids when they're 13, 12, 15 and so on. And there's no better example of that, by the way. Go on Instagram and look at the training videos and you'll be you should be horrified. Yeah. Now, I'm a I'm a, a you know, obviously a former professional athlete, former college coach. And uh, I have children, so I have three three categories that you're trying to reach. I've got kids in that demographic now. We have nine, eleven, thirteen, and fifteen. What should they be doing right now in order to get them to where you'd want to see their development when they're in that teenage years, that fifteen, sixteen, eighteen? Well, so we're going to go back a step and and talk about how kids don't free play and don't don't engage in free play. Now, I don't know about your your kids, but um, kids are not going out to the field and playing and running around and jumping and doing the things that, you know, I guess now are considered anachronisms, climbing trees, going to the playground, going down the slide, climbing ropes. They've taken ropes out of schools here in New Jersey, you know, doing things that developed what I'm going to call an effective three-dimensional, three not even an athlete, but a three-dimensional person. You know, we had, and uh, this is a great phrase, I wish I made it up. We had great, I had a great movement vocabulary because I was developed as a young kid that as a 60-year-old, I can still do things that a lot of my younger kids, people that are my kids' age, my kids, not so much, my kids are pretty good, but other athletes half my age still can't do because they didn't do it when they were in the formative years. So, you know, free play is one of those things that you can't recreate in um, play dates and 
you know, and artificially constructed athletic environments. Um, you know, the kid who never got to catch or the kid who was the catcher that got to play shortstop or center field in a Sandlot baseball game developed completely different than the kid who at 10 is given the catcher's gear. And that's what he does until he's in high school. Uh, and which is, it goes back to what I mentioned early in one of our shows. I see kids with horrendous ankle range of motion too, because of the lack of this free play. Yeah. That's been one of my favorite things to look at. It sounds, sounds odd, but when you spoke about that and you gave the, the analogy or you gave the, actually the chronology of the sniper position and you talked about how phys ed class is supposed to resemble the military. And that was the original uh, mode for it. Um, I've looked at that a ton, not just with myself as a, you know, an older former athlete, but with our younger athletes in terms of their ability to pitch in terms of their ability to hit that ankle range of motion is huge. And, and I would encourage people to look at still videos of athletes doing that. I mean, Sally right on the money with it. As far as, uh, you know, the young kids go, I, I'm, I'm with you. I, my kids now have your your number and access to you. So if I don't let them free play, they're going to call the Sal police on me and let them let you know. But yeah, we were big into that free play. When's the last time? Like, when's the last time? Never mind, you saw a kid do it. But when's the last time you saw a hopscotch grid uh, at a playground? You know, that was one of those things that it was not just for girls. I mean, uh, that was a big. I remember we used to go to this field down by my grammar school where I grew up, and. Uh, there was a hopscotch, a couple of hopscotch grids, and we would come up with kind of unique things that today would be considered plyometrics. You'd look at it and you'd say, oh, what did you get that at CrossFit? And it's like, no, you know, that's the type of stuff we did. But it was spur of the moment. It was um, uh, improvisational and it was not coach driven. It was athlete-driven. It wasn't a coach saying, okay, yeah, I see how you're landing on one foot there. We're going to change that, blah, 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 because we didn't need that. You were, you were doing what you kind of just felt, and we, we're so totally away from that in organized sports these days. It's it's at the detriment to the, to the participants. Yeah, that feel and that intuition that athlete's gut is being taken away, not just in the weight room and, and training, uh, as, as you're talking, but on the field as well. What about jumping? A real quick one for you, just based on that concept of letting athletes just kind of drive where they're going. Um, I have a colleague who is uh, two colleagues that were at the high level of the U.S. Olympic training for the ski and snowboard and um, team. And what they said was they had a big problem with, getting these snowboard athletes to quote train because that was a sport like skateboarding that was totally coachless though that those early uh, skateboarders never had coaches. They went out and did things on their own. They were their own masters and their own coaches and they worked with each other to push themselves. Um, I would be a great experiment because they've done it with ski uh, with skateboarding and, um, and that kind of sport to see a group go out for a season and have the kids have the athletes coach themselves and let's see what happened there. One last thing I'll leave you with. There was an experiment they did with shot putters, um, two groups of shot putters. One group had a tape measurer. The other group had a tape measurer and a coach. Now these were all high level shot putters. The group that did not have the coach and just had the tape measurer threw further than the group that had the coach and had the tape measurer. And then they flipped groups so that they each had chances to work under those 
circumstances. And the group that was without the coach that had been with the coach the first time threw further than they did when they were with the coach. So that, that tells you something. What, and why is that? Why do you think? I, uh, I know. When you're, you know, at a certain point when you're, um, when you're proficient, the constant um, minutia of, of, uh, of, of concentrating on the details of it re- restricts your performance. That, that's been proven in time after time of motor skill acquisition um, where they take people who are proficient and have them concentrate or think about um, what they're doing and it makes their performance suffer. So that's being done across the board. And think of those, think of those um, examples of how guys try to get themselves out of a batting slump, a lot of them what they're thinking about, and it's doing things to probably make it harder for them. Yeah, over overcoached and undertaught is is a phrase that I use all the time with with that. I'm I'm a big proponent, as you know. We we like to have our sandlot days throughout the week. And I think the kids, when they learn how to govern themselves, them themselves individually, but collectively, boy, the sky's the limit with that. Cause now you're creating high agency, first principle, self-teachers. And to me, that's what's missing, not just in sports, but in our world right now. Yeah. And and you know, it goes back to what, what we're starting to talk about is being in the gym all the time. And that's the place. And look, I love working out and that's what I do for a living. But what I'm trying to do is create, you know, one of the other things I put up on my Instagram is we have to get it. We're getting, we have to get away from the old school way of doing things. Every, in my opinion, everything that is considered um, necessary in the weight room needs to be thrown out and, anything of the old way that's going to be included in this new way has to earn its way back in because there's way too much data evidence, however you want to refer to it, that what we're doing doesn't work. So, you know, a big thing for me is the back squat. Why, you know, no one really can tell me why the back squat's necessary um, for an athlete to be successful. You know, here, here's another thing that'll blow your mind. I'm not exactly sure the um, the difference in the time involved here, but they went back and they looked at Jeff, Jesse Owens' 100-meter dash or 100-yard dash, I forget which it was, in the 1936 Olympics. And through models, they they tried to equalize for track condition and, and um, all the other things that have changed since 1936. And you're barely you're talking about barely a half a second of difference when you attribute for the surface and the shoe and the training method. So, you know, it kind of makes me wonder how much time are we wasting overloading kids with this training when at the end of the day, in what's now almost 100 years, um, you got a half a second of, of improvement to show for it. Yeah, you think it does more damage than yeah. than good. Yeah. We're, we're, we're in a position where you're looking at these pitchers going five, five innings. And again, I want, you know, you guys, you and, and Will and Kevin and the other guys, you know, Jeff and Mark Wiley. I want to have them get to the point where they get someone that's going to try to defend what they're doing physically with these guys and how that's making them better. Why are we including this bodybuilding style of weightlifting and powerlifting style of weightlifting in a sport that has zero to do 
with the elements involved in those kinds of lifting. I, I yeah. just want to, why are you doing it? And what was the stat about the dollars that are being lost to injury? How, how oh, yeah. is that justifiable? Six, six billion, I think it was, was it six, six million in, uh, since 2015 and spent on injured pitchers. Uh, Justin Orenduff with that stat, he, he does the, he did the research on that. Here's a simpler uh, question. Why, why are 17 year olds getting Tommy John sur- surgery? Has the baseball changed? You know, what, what are we doing that's different from what we did when Nolan Ryan, all he did was throw the ball? You know, it's a pretty obvious uh, conclusion you can draw. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a, that's probably, I mean, you, you made a ton of great points today, but that's, if that one hit somebody right between the eyes, that's the evidence right there. These guys threw longer. They threw just as hard. Um, they stayed injury-free. But these kids, you're right, they're having injuries earlier and earlier now. I mean, I know of a 15-year-old that just had Tommy John surgery. And I watch these kids when I'm at events. I'll see them popping. We talked about it last show, I think, with they're popping Advil and, I mean, you name it, stuff on their arm to, to numb, I guess, the sensation of soreness, which should not be there at that young age uh, for these kids. What about breaking up workouts? It's something that I am, and I may be wrong, totally against it, but um, as far as a baseball sport or even, you know, these guys go in, they do back and biceps. They do triceps. Oh, that's, that's, so let's, I'm going to stop you right there because first of all, it makes me nauseous. Second of all, that is, that's where we go back to bodybuilding, which has ruined what we consider preparation for sport. And I, I would love to talk about that in detail, but that's bodybuilding nonsense. Your bicep never works by itself. Your tricep never works by itself to produce movement. Your quadriceps never act alone to produce any human movement. So to train them individually is sheer lunacy. It would be like if you had a recipe for chili and had all the ingredients in front of you in ramekins and bowls and ate those ingredients in order until you finished it, and telling someone you ate chili. They would think you're insane. If you told me you're going to train your bicep, you're going to train your tricep, you're going to train your forearm, you're going to train your deltoids, you're going to train your lats, you're going to train your other back muscles, then you're going to train your legs, and that's a workout, and it's going to help you throw, you're just as insane as if you ate chili powder, salt, pepper, paprika, and so on until you finish the, the, the chili recipe. Yeah, no, that's a good way to put it. I am, um, and I, I have to send you this link. We do a program where it's like old school gym class where you're walking like a, a gorilla. You're doing a, I mean, it's all these body movements. It's more, it's mobility. I don't think it's stretching, not by any means, because you're moving and you're, 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 you're causing the body again, lack of sorry for the repetitive word, but mobility training, um, where it's body weight. Um, I love the, it's called gymnastics, body training. It's not gymnastics where you're flipping around and whatnot, but it's, it's training the mobile body. I still do the program and I actually ran an ultra marathon as that is my main training device for, uh, hundred, hundred point, uh, three miles, but we use it for our children. Our children have never touched weights. Um, they do total mobility training. Um, but I want to kind of, I want, and I've got to send you that and I'll tag that in our show notes, but 
kind of closing the show out, we, we look at pitchers you mentioned, like Nolan Ryan, Tom Seaver, Jerry Kuzman, you mentioned, you know, Jim Palmer early on. As you're devising this plan to change training, what would be the criteria to say, okay, this this would not be included, or what would be the criteria for something to be included in your new baseball training? Well, I would. It's a great segue here because I've tried to get a gymnastics slash tumbling expert to combine with what I do and I know of sport because I think the problem with some of those movements is that it's intimidating. There's a a, a barrier. Let's use the maybe it's not the best term, but there's a barrier for entry that exists in the mind of a lot of athletes. I would think a tumbling. Um, and, and you know what, Dave, at the end of the day, I, in my opinion, we could get to the point where the training program of your athlete, like of your kid's age, is not going to look anything like what the program looks like today. Because I, I really am a firm believer that none of the traditional elements need to be included, you know, aside from pull-ups, push-ups, and, and the calisthenic kind of, uh, of uh, list of movements that we could go back and, and utilize and add. It's got to be three dimensions. It's got to be specific. And I don't mean specific to the sport, but specific to movement. So that means it has to be at an appropriate speed. Now, of course, the teaching progressions are different. But once you get to that point at which you're proficient, you never look back. You know, there's this old school concept of periodization of your training where you go through a phase of 10, 12 weeks, and then you go back to the beginning and repeat it. I think it's total nonsense. It's a waste of time. It's been, quote, proven in the lab and in manners that it, no one's ever questioned and at the end of the day um, isn't practical. So I, I think we'd be at a position where, you know, most of those elements of training are, are going to be removed, should be removed. And, you know, I'm constantly working on things. If anyone follows my Instagram, you'll start to get a, a flavor for what kinds of things I'm doing. I call what I do explosive coordination um, because I, it, it takes words away or it, it's not using words that are used for current things. And I'm trying to get away from that. I like that explosive coordination with it. And you saw you see that when you're looking at, you know, some of the old school guys with Ryan Seaver, Kuzman, when you're watching them on on video. Yeah. I mean, look at we talked about. I, I think the problem with trying to teach a kid Seaver or Ryan's uh, delivery is that they don't have the mobility to get in those positions at the at the finish. You right. know, they, they talked about fixing Ryan's um, mechanics when he went to the Angels from the Mets. The pitching coach, I forget who it was, but he was a genius. He had him stride longer because that straightened him out, which allowed his delivery to be more consistent, which helped him with his wildness. So you look at what he finished like. If you have a one or a two or a miss uh, or, or, or um, an imbalance in your ankle range of motion, you're never going to be able to finish and get into that position. So that we're, we're talking about fundamental movement patterns that kids can't get into which are preventing them to be able to pitch like that. Yeah. And then they're going to these, I won't even call these guys pitching coaches or going to throwing coaches um, on the side. And they're trying to show them the, you know, the, you know, Jacob DeGrom, Steven Strasburg, uh, Justin Verlander. They're trying to get them to do that without going through the prerequisite mobility training to get to that point. Correct. Yeah, no, I love it. I love it. Um, 
what what parting shots you have for our audience here and, and remind everybody where they can find you on you know Substack. People need to you need to spend time after Sal's episodes reading up, watching what he's doing. It'll prep you for the next show and you can always contribute to it. Um, we're very open with what we, we cover here and tell us where they can find you um, and, and where they can keep reading about what you're doing. On Instagram, which I'm really making an effort to develop because I think it's a great combination of visual and then it gets you to think and you could also contact me through that. Uh, it's Coach Sal's Playmakers is my um, is my handle on Instagram. I'm on Twitter at, at Sal Marinello. My, my substack is Coach Sal M dot substack.com and I'm building out my website. I have a, a, a lousy one that I've neglected that I'm working on. And, um, and, and so that's that. And I just want to remind everybody, Dave, that I'm part of this holistic baseball training summit and starting on November 1st, they're going to release the interviews, um, which are designed to help players both on and off the field, get to that point where they're more recruitable. And I know that kind of can have a, a negative connotation, uh, I think if you're looking at it beyond just what you do on the field, um, that's why I, I decided to help these guys. Uh, it's a great group of young guys that really are trying to uh, develop the total athlete. So if you go to holisticbaseball.com backslash Sal Marinello, you'll be able to get free access to the interview uh, and the, some of the stuff that that's part of this summit. So um, that's a good start. And that's probably more of me than any one person will want to have to deal with, but have at it. Now, I think it's good. And maybe we try to get them on one of our shows prior to give them a little publicity leading up to it. And, I'm Love it's great. and so, uh, for our audience reminder, Amazon, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple, iHeartRadio, you can, you can find us. We just branched out Sal, uh, yesterday to where we're going to explode with social media. Now we do have our Twitter but we're going to go Truth Social, Bright Dion Social, Parlor, Getter, uh, Pure Social, MeWe, Gab, USA.life. Um, and then so we'll be on all of those uh, social medias as of uh, this morning so we can pump more of what we're doing and try to build better baseball IQs here. And you obviously contribute not just with the panel, but do a great job on the show. We thank you, Sal, so much for your knowledge. Thanks. Look forward to talking next week. Okay. Thanks. Have a great weekend. You too. That was good.